Cause we're the Houston Oilers Houston Oilers Houston Oilers number one Yes, we're the Houston Oilers Houston Oilers Houston Oilers and the releasing of Gibson today. I guess it was last Friday or last Saturday, the Texans extended Laramie Tensel. He signed a contract that you typically see in the NBA. Like This is some like Kawhi Leonard, Paul George sign last summer. They signed a three-year deal so they could hit free agency again, um, like right around the peak of their career. So Tensel is 26. He signed a three-year, $66 million contract. He has a $40 million signing bonus. Uh, it's $50 million guaranteed because there's a $10 million injury guarantee in 2022. He also has the chance to the market at 29, which is typically, you know, it's like it's right around the prime of offensive tackles career, uh, maybe a little bit on the downslope, but that's usually like where there's still a, a peak, a peak player at that time too. And so this season tends to have a cap hit of 14.1 million. And then from this point on, he'll make about $21 million a year, uh, which is 3 million more than the second highest paid, left uh, tackle in football, which is Lane Johnson, the right tackle of the Eagles. And this is how it goes. The next time a really good player gets paid, uh, he becomes the highest paid player in this position. And it just constantly revolves his players make more and more money. Uh, so are you good with the Tensile extension? Like, are, do you think this is just like a, a great decision and not, you know, a ho-hum thing? And it's just glad that, I think you're just, are you just glad that they got this contract done? Yeah, I think it can't really be classified as a great decision because it's more of something that just really had to get done with how we made the trade for him with no contract really for the next couple of years. And I don't really get why the media is bashing us for signing um, Laramie Tunsil. They're saying like, oh, it's a huge deal. It's uh, like you said, three million more than the next tackle. But that's just kind of how contracts work. You know, he was the next guy who's lined up for a big contract and he reset the market. And that's what happens. Even if he might not be the best offensive tackle in the league. I think he's definitely top three, top five. I don't think you can argue that very much, but he was the next guy to get a contract, and that's just how it works. And the way I look at it is like Byron Jones. He was the next cornerback to get a really big contract, and he reset the market, but I don't think anyone's going to say that Byron Jones is a top three or top five corner, and yet no one's really complaining about that contract. So I think people are just piling on the hate Bill O'Brien because of all the idiotic moves he's made, and, and you know what? That's warranted. I get it. But it's just kind of getting frustrating at this point where this is a move we had to make. And it was a fine move. I don't think it was an absurd overpay at all. And, you know, it's, I'm, I'm happy with it. What yeah, I think that's good analysis. And it's one of those things where things don't mean anything anymore if, if, like, if everything is bad all the time, you know, then bad doesn't mm. mean anything at all. And so the potential extension isn't bad. Like, yeah, like it is kind of weird that he'll be able to hit free agency again. He's not locked up long term, but... You know what position is Houston in? They they pretty much have to give Tunsil whatever he wants after making the trade that they did. I think the better argument, like of, of the trade of anything being bad, is trading for Tunsil just because of how much of an impact a left tackle really has, and giving much that much draft capital, and then also paying a left tackle twenty two million dollars on top of it. Like that's a that's a different argument, and I still kind of look at the Tunsil trade being bad because of what how much they gave up and the desperation that went along with the move. But the extension after the fact, this isn't bad. This is like a you know, a whole hum decision I see as perfectly good and and you know, something that just needed to get done. Yeah, I'm with you on that. It's kind of I don't know what 
everyone's main philosophy is but for me i feel like you kind of have to grade the move separately like you can grade the trade Mm -hmm. and say that that was an overpay it it definitely was it was out of desperation you're completely right but then you kind of have to look at the extension separately like you said it's it's something that had to be done Tunsil had all the leverage and it's kind of great to see him he fired his agent and everyone was thinking oh when is he going to fire his or when is he going to hire a new agent and then work out the deal but he worked it all out on his own and i think that's pretty impressive to get all the money he did and also to get to hit the market before he's 30 like you said so i'm happy for tunsil you know he's a great player he deserves to get paid now he's got to clean up those false starts and, and i think it'd be really worth it yeah and i mean some players have done that as well richard sherman did it and um they get to keep all the money that goes to him that's a pay any sort of finer's fee or anything like that and i do think with tunsil what's interesting about him is he can get better in this offense you mentioned the false starts yeah. but i also think he gives up on blocks way too early uh, that sack he gave up against Frank Clark in the in the division where last year is a really good example where Clark you know gets up and runs around for 15 seconds to take Watson down and Tunsil just stands there and watches him after a certain point and so I whenever you block for a quarterback like you know Deshaun Watson you don't block for you know three seconds especially if you're paid 22 million dollars you gotta block guys for you know five seconds and seven seconds sometime and the other thing too I think the offense in general can do a better job scheming to take advantage of Tunsil. Like if you watch what the Raiders did with Colton Miller, for example, last year, where they used him a lot on pulling out wide on wide zone plays and pulling on counter plays and um, and those sort of things that really uses athleticism as a lead blocker, like things like that, you know, lead lead you to being like, yeah, left tackle is worth it because not only does he locks down this pass rusher, their best pass rusher, and ensures the quarterback doesn't have to look over there, but also he he's able to impact the offense in these other indirect ways. And the Texans really aren't doing that with Sunsell right now. He makes double teams with Max Sharping. He kicks out the defensive in the outside zone. And then he and then he locks down guys like Justin Houston. And, uh, you know, is that's not worth two first-round picks and a second-round pick and $22 million. But the Texans can do a better job scheming their offense to get him in more situations where he can make more impactful, impactful blocks, too. Yeah, I'm completely with you on all that. I'd love to see him pulling because he's a great athlete for a tackle. He's a big dude, but he's... He's strong and he's also got really good feet. And I remember when we started to pull Sharping more, I think we did a lot in the Chiefs game, and Sharping looked pretty good at it too. So it'd be interesting if we could get both those guys on the left side pulling and make some make some more creativity in the run game. And then also really quickly about, I mentioned the fall starts, and I think it is something he's going to clean up because it's kind of an outlier in his career. He's not really been known to do that. And also in his practice conference today, that he had he mentioned that his main struggle was like picking up the playbook and so i think that was a big struggle with him kind of figuring out like all the snap counts and trying to see like and like how that affected his false starts because he was really the only person on the o-line who's getting false starts it was really just him so mm-hmm. uh, clearly the problem was him and i guess yeah once he has another year in the system with the playbook and gaining continuity with everyone i think hopefully like you said they're going to make it more creative and we can see an even greater impact out of console. Yeah, and a lot of those false starts too are him just leaving a stance early. You know, it's not like he has a it's not like he's needing to hurry up his pass at all because he can't stay in front of the guys at all. He's just leaving mm-hmm. a stance just like you know, two a few milliseconds too early or a few tenths of a second maybe a tenth of a second too early, I guess. And uh, and drawing those calls. But yeah, I, I could see that. Uh, being something that can be cleaned up as early as next year. The one thing I would like to, the one block I really want to see him make is the Texans have run that stupid wide receiver screen on, you know, second and nine so many times. And you always know when it's coming whenever you see like a slot left formation. And that left tackle never makes that block. And Tensel can make that block last year as well either. Uh, as soon as Tensel makes that block, I think I'll completely change my mind on 
Tons will try being bad because I've been wanting <laughs> to see a tackle make that block since you know Dwayne Brown hasn't happened yet. Julian Davenport should have been the guy for that. He's he's athletic as as you can get as offensive tackle. Should have been the guy for that. Yeah, you he wasn't able to quite get there, and even like Tunsil wasn't either. I think a lot of it's just kind of angles and uh, and maybe the wide receiver's a little bit too far out out wide as well too, where he just doesn't have a chance against a cornerback or alley defender to get out there and make those blocks too. So maybe next year that all that will change as well. Um, the other big roster move was that the Texans released Tayshawn Gibson today. And last week, he Bill O'Brien hinted at safety being a possible need, and the Texans had you know Eric Murray in the roster, they had Gibson, they had Justin Reed, and they had Jalen Watkins, and it seemed kind of bizarre to even mention safety to begin with. And then now, after the uh, right before the draft, they signed Matt Thomas, and now Gibson being released today, it kind of makes a little bit more sense, even though they didn't dress the safety position all either. So, do you think this move is a is a move before a move? Because just releasing. Gibson outright doesn't make very much sense to me at all. You know, I would really hope it's a move before a move. I hope we have a plan in place to replace Gibson because he was pretty valuable for us last year. And there's no safety currently on the roster who can play single high and be that kind of safety net for the defense, which Gibson was pretty good at playing that last year. He wasn't amazing, but he's the, he was definitely the best one we had. And so the only worry for me is that we already have six safeties on the roster but none of them are really that good. You know, everyone loves Justin Reed. I love him too, but he's he's a box guy. He's great around the line of scrimmage, closer to the action. We can take advantage of his great tackling. And then you look at the other guys. You've got Eric Murray, who he's kind of the same thing, kind of a linebacker, safety hybrid. Then Jalen Watkins and Michael Thomas. Those are both special team guys. They're not really... If we're playing them big minutes, if they're playing, if they're starting next to Justin Reed, then we're in trouble. So I don't know. With all those guys, and then AJ Moore as well, he's the last guy. That's six safeties. I don't know if we have the roster roster space to add another one. Yeah, it's like every safety aside from Justin Reed is like, you know, a special teamer or a career backup. And you know, it's kind of what exactly do you do here? Sort of question you can ask about those guys. And you know, I completely agree too. I thought Gibson was underrated last year. I think mainly like a guy who plays deep middle and is off the broadcast screen, is never going to be fully appreciated. And the other thing he was really good at do, uh, at, at doing was he was a good last defense tackler. So if a you know, wide receiver running back was able to break a tackle in the open field, Gibson did a really good job cleaning up tackles and ensuring you know those 15-yard plays to become 30 yards or 45 yards or whatever. And uh, and they don't currently have that spot. Like I think Reed could play deep middle, but you're severely limiting what, else, like, what he's really great at doing, which is being in the box. So I don't know. I hope this is a move before a move, but the safety market out there is bad. It's like I've seen Eric Reed, but Eric Reed is similar to Justin Reed and how they play, and he's just the worst version of them. And then there's like Rashad Jones, who's who's old, Kirk Coleman, who's old. Um, there's not really any safeties at all available. It's not like they can make a move for like it's not like Everson Griffin being available. It's a bunch of bad older safeties in the market currently too as well. Yeah, the one guy who is currently free agent that intrigued me is Eric Berry. But then again, like he hasn't played in a year. Who knows how healthy he is? Who knows how even like motivated he is to come back and play? Um, but one thing that interested me was that there were rumors during the draft that the Colts were ship were shopping safety Malik Hooker, and Hooker was a really great free safety, really great single high guy coming out of Ohio State. But the Colts haven't really used them right because they use a really heavy um, cover two scheme, and so. Hooker isn't like the single high in that, so he's kind of limited into what he can do. And he's also been injured, and so he just really hasn't lived up to the expectations. So I wonder 
I know it's an interdivisional trade, but I wonder how much they would be willing to uh, trade him for. I don't know. We don't really have anything to trade even, but mm-hmm. that's probably the most intriguing name for me. Yeah, Hooker, like he, he's a great the middle player. He's just hurt all the time, and so I think that's yeah. really impacted how, Col- how the Colts want to run their defense where they're stuck playing cover two because you know Hooker's out rather than playing you know, more cover one and more you know, cover three. And I guess like, more like being able to play more pure man coverage. Um, that pick he had against the Chargers last year in you know week one was unbelievable, and so he has the mm-hmm. chance to make plays like that. Yeah, and the question, of course, though, is trade capital. Like Houston has a third round pick next year, I think two fours, and I think they only have five picks um, next year. And so if you're not going to, the Colts are going to take a third round pick for Hooker, and then you start looking at players and we trade it. It's like, well, are you going to trade? You know, are you, are you going to trade like two pass catchers? Are you going to trade Will Fuller? Are you going to trade, you know, Fuller and Stills? Are you going to trade Fuller and Eric Murray? Like, what, what, what players can you give up for Hooker? And I don't really see a, see a deal that really makes much sense for Houston in that regard, unless the Colts like absolutely love Will Fuller, you know. Yeah, I'm with you on that. I think the three main guys that could be trade candidates that we've heard of, kind of rumors, are Fuller, Stills, and then Bernardrick McKinney. But none of those guys really fit the Colts. Like they kind of the Colts already have a bunch of receivers and T.Y. Hilton. They got Paris Campbell. They took. Another guy in the second round, Michael Pittman. So I don't know if they really need another wide receiver. And then with linebacker, Benardrick McKinney's name has been tossed around. There's rumors about him, about kind of saving some cap there. But they've got one of the best linebacker um, position groups in the mm-hmm. league. So I don't think that they would find him interesting at all. So, yeah, it was more of just a hopeful kind of thought that if we could manage to steal him and buy low on him, that he would be a perfect fit for us. Yeah, and like I think their receiver group kind of sucks, and it kind of sucked last year, you know. Uh, there's a lot of Colt fans who thought it was going to be a good group um, because of the signs that they made last year and because they drafted Paris Campbell. And whenever a player is on your team, they're automatically better, you know. But, uh, mm. like, for Phillip Rivers, like, Fuller doesn't really make much sense because, like, Rivers, like, he likes to go up and get at receivers, and Fuller isn't yeah. that, you know. And I think uh, Phillip Rivers would, like, constantly underthrow him, and uh, Fuller wouldn't be able to come back and make the jump catches that, you know, Rivers has been uh, – surviving off for the last four seasons or so yeah they really Rivers was great with keenan allen and uh who's the other guy mike williams mm-hmm. just throwing up to them and i guess they got their guy in that michael Pittman in the second round he's a big guy he's like six four he's that's what he does he's a jump ball guy so i don't know he'll be he'll be interesting to, to play against for sure i think one thing that's good about him is that we kind of have the size to deal with that with lonnie hopefully lonnie kind of develops and plays well but he's got the height and the length kind of keep up with Pittman who's he's not like a good route runner he's not quick so that's fine because that's kind of what Lonnie struggles against so I think that would be a good matchup for us honestly I'm I'm not too worried about Pittman yeah well good for good for Philip because that was the one blind spot I saw about him in Los Angeles was that he just didn't really have any receivers that fits what he likes to do in offense you know it's like quick short passing and then just throw and go up and get it um, deep balls and it worked in 18 and then last year he threw 20 receptions whenever he had Mm offensive line in front of him uh, the last question we had here was from at Joe Gardner, and this is kind of like the last aspect of the Gibson trend at the last question. And he asked, is Gibson a cap casualty? And so the weird thing about this release too is that the Texans pay, are paying $4.25 million in dead money by releasing Gibson, and they only receive about $3 million or so by releasing him. So they're actually, they actually don't get any cap gain at all for this season. They actually lose a million dollars by releasing Gibson. And so there, there really isn't like any cap uh, purposes for this move. The only thing I could see it is if you know Gibson had that back injury last year 
and he played 40-plus snaps against Tennessee and never played again last season. So the only reason why I could see this move making any sense is if Gibson's back is just you know all screwed up and he can't really play any professional football at all anymore. Um, if it's an injury thing, that'd be a shame because Gibson's a good player. But it, they, it, Houston doesn't receive any salary cap benefit at all by this move. Yeah, I'm completely with you. It doesn't make any sense at all. I was going to say the exact same thing. The injury is worse than we thought. That's probably the only thing that that justifies this. And hopefully he gets better because, yeah, like you said, he was a great player. And I don't know. I just I don't get the timing of it because the least you could have done is gone to training camp and seeing how he was because I don't know how well like the doctors can test him right now to see how like ready he could be for the season. So, yeah, anyways, that's, that's enough on Gibson, I think. Yeah. 